chapter 15, and we're going to continue to, to take a look at Jesus' ministry through the book of Matthew. And you remember last time we, we were looking at some of the things that, that Jesus was doing. And, it, and very specifically, he had this confrontation with the scribes and the Pharisees. You remember that the scribes and the Pharisees represent the religious people of the day. They, they didn't have a relationship with God. They believed in, in some of the things that the scripture taught. But what they had grown to, they had taken the truth of God and they have made it into a bunch of rituals. And the rituals were so stringent that they lost the reality of what God's word taught. They were all wrapped up in the ritual. Everything was on the ritual. Everything was about uh, what you could do or how things looked. And one of the things they taught was that you were made unclean just by being around Gentiles. Now, Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is still in the region of the Galilee, but around Galilee, there were Gentile settlements. And Jesus happens to be in one of those. And he's trying to teach his disciples about ministering to the people, ministering to the world. The scripture lays out for us that God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only begotten son. Now we know that salvation is of the Jews. That salvation came through the nation of Israel. That that was the, the people whom the Lord used. But he wants the, his disciples to understand that your defilement, your, your sin in your life does not come because you got too close to a Gentile. So last week we talked about it. Our defilement comes within it comes from inside of us, not from who we're hanging out with or what we're doing. It's already in us. It's already there. And that sin, that, that sin nature within each of us needs to be dealt with. And so Jesus takes that opportunity to teach them because he's here in the midst of a, of a, a Gentile area and he wants to minister to them. Now, salvation had already been presented to the nation of Israel, and they had rejected. Jesus went and he healed, and he did. He healed the lame, and the maimed, and the sick, and the blind, and the deaf, and the dumb. All of these were touched by the Lord, and they said, he does it by what? The power of Satan. They said, he's Beelzebub, by the power of Beelzebub. That's how he's doing these works. Now we see in Matthew chapter 15 that Jesus is in a a Gentile area doing the same thing. He's bringing that same, but you're going to see a different attitude. And why is that? Because the religion, the ritual, hadn't really affected the Gentile lives. That's flipped now, by the way. In our day, the Gentiles are the religious. And the Jew is irreligious. Most of them don't practice Judaism at all. Most of them think it's a big, it's a big uh, uh, bunch of hooey that they're God's chosen people. They say, look at our lives. How are we God's chosen people? Most persecuted people on the face of the planet. But the, the ritual or the religious has switched places. At the time of Christ, it wasn't that way. So we'll see a difference in the attitude of the Gentile when they receive what God brings to, the, to their town. Now, the Jews there as well. And the scripture lays out for us that Paul told us that by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he has made us all one. No longer is there Jew or Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free. But we are all one, how? In Christ. That's the only place we're one. We are all one in Christ. 
So Jesus is ministering. He wants his disciples to understand. And he wants his disciples to see a very specific thing. A very specific thing that even those who try to find the historical Jesus. Have you guys ever seen those shows? I can't watch the History Channel when they're doing them. Because it makes me want to break my TV. In search of the historical Jesus. You want to find a historical Jesus in the Bible. Well, no, those things in the Bible can't possibly be true. It's interesting that they say those kind of things because the number one best historical document of ancient literature is the Bible. But nonetheless, they, they're looking for the historical Jesus. And so they, they, they remove all what they, they, what they consider to be legend or what they consider to be stories. They remove all that stuff and they end up with this, this weird picture of, of Jesus. It really doesn't resemble the Jesus of the Bible. But here's something that they don't mess up. They see Jesus. They recognize in him compassion. When you think about the ministry of Jesus, compassion has to be one of those things that you see in him, in what he did and how he ministered. And he wants desperately his disciples to learn that compassion. Now they're coming to a Gentile region and Jesus knew they have these ideas in their head too. It's not just the Pharisees. His disciples had this idea that Gentiles, that, that's just fuel for the fires of hell. And all throughout history, God has looked at his disciples or his people with a desire to pass on to them compassion so that they would see the world the way God sees the world. We see the world in groups. Think about when we were in high school. Lots of groups in high school, right? I don't know if the groups are the same now as, as they were back in the Stone Ages when we went, but... There were groups. You had the jocks. You had the stoners. You had uh, uh, the, the, the cheerleaders, which were in their own special group. <laughs> Sorry, hon. <clears throat> you had all these, the, the way, so when you went to high school, think about how you looked at people. You didn't look at them based on, on who they were or what they were about. You looked on them based on what group they fit in, Right? What are they? They're either a jock or they're not. They're, maybe they're part of the party gr- crew or they're not part of the party crew. They're the outcasts. Those are the guys that hung out on the hill. Whatever it was, we put people in groups. And if you think we stopped doing that when we left high school, you are crazy. Because we still do it. And I don't think God likes that. I don't think he likes when we do that. Because we bring that same prejudice that the disciples had, that Jesus dealt with last time. The defilement is within us, not in that person or in that group that we want to shun or that we push off to the side. Or we say, well, they're from the wrong side of the tracks. Or they live in a bad neighborhood. Or, or you know, they've been involved in some bad things. And we, you know what? As far as God is concerned, we're all from the wrong side of the tracks. We're all filled with a sin nature that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus wants to meet that. He wants to deal with that in the lives of his disciples so that he can better equip them to reach the masses, to reach people's lives, to reach people where they are, the real people. People without a mask, people that aren't hiding, people that are hurting. 
And they, and they need a Savior. And so the Lord wants to meet that need. And if we look at, at Matthew chapter 15 that way, I think we'll see the lesson, the, the message that Jesus is trying to get across. If we look at verse 21, it begins, And Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now you remember, Jesus has already proclaimed a curse. Woe to Tyre and Sidon because of all the things he did and the unbelief that was there. But here we see Jesus in Tyre and Sidon. He's in that same place. And look what happens. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. This woman comes to Jesus. Now, there's several things that we need to grasp from this story, from that verse. She has three things against her, three strikes. Those three strikes are, one, she's a woman. And especially in this time, in this world that we're reading about, they, they were not very well appreciated. Now, some women today would say, yeah, and then we're not very well appreciated today either. But we're trying, honey. <laughs> I'm really working at it. I know, life is not good without mama. The idea, but here we see, here's the issue. One, she's a woman. Now, they, they did not carry any clout in those days. None. So she's a woman. she got that going against her. Next, she's a Canaanite. Do we know anything about Canaanites? Let's see. There's something in the Bible where God says to wipe them all out. He tells the children of Israel to throw them out of the land and to, and to destroy every one of them. And when we do a study on, on the Canaanite peoples, it's not hard to understand why. Because they are a very wicked people. Not just kind of bad, they're very wicked. Here's an important thing to understand when we consider that. We're a bunch of Canaanites. It's easy for us to see wickedness on somebody else. We forget defilement comes from where? Within. Every one of us. Every one of us. So she's a Canaanite. That's going against her because Canaanite were cursed people. They were cursed. The third thing is, she's a Gentile. She's a Gentile Canaanite woman. And she's coming to talk to Jesus. And there's the disciples, they're hanging around him. And Jesus is in the Gentile region. And here comes this woman, she's got a problem. But she's got three strikes against her. Three things, three reasons why any society, any rabbi, any teacher, any holy person, anybody of any uh, uh, stance within the, the society would not look at her at all. In fact, when she came up, somebody would take her away. Hey, hey you know, get, get, get her out of here. She's one of those people. And when she comes, and she comes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. She, she knows where to go for help, right? But do you see what happened when she cried out to him? Jesus did what? Nothing. He answered her not a word. He didn't say a thing. Because right now is a teaching opportunity for the Lord. It's going to work out to be a testing opportunity for this Canaanite woman. God's growing within her the faith that is already evident in her life. And he's going to use it as a teaching opportunity for his disciples. 
And we need to realize that God does that same thing in our lives today. You ever feel like you called out to the Lord with a genuine request? And it's really something that you need to address, Lord, and it's something you need to do. And we call out to the Lord and He's silent? But you see, you know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say He sent her away. Did He send her away? No, it just said He didn't answer her. Jesus is doing something for a very specific purpose. I love that Jesus is here. First of all, in a Gentile area, but listen to this. How many times in the life of Jesus do we see him do things like, you know what, I, I think I need to go to Samaria. You remember we talked about this. Nobody needed to go to Samaria. Samaria was a horrible place. Nobody went there. But Jesus said, I need to go there. Why did he go? Do you remember? He went there to sit by a well because there was a woman that he knew was seeking and searching and, and, and longing for some kind of fulfillment in her life. And it could only be found in a relationship with God. So he, the creator of the universe, born in, as, a, as a little boy, grown to a man, goes out in ministry and says, I need to be there for her. Another time, scripture tells us, he said, I got to go to Jericho. Nobody went to Jericho either. You remember the stories about Jericho? On the road to Jericho, you guys remember the, the Good Samaritan, right? That happens on the road to Jericho. The road to Jericho was a road that you took that twisted through this canyon, a deserty canyon. It was a great place for robbers to hang out. And they sit up on top of those canyons while you're walking through and just throw a rock off. Bounce it off of your head, go down and take all your stuff. Well, that's where the story of the Good Samaritan came from. You remember the guy got beat up and all his stuff robbed on the road to Jericho? But Jesus said, I got to go to Jericho. Do you remember why? He had to go to Jericho because there's this little bitty, there's this little man, little man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a hated person in the community. Why? He was a hated man because he was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, everybody hated him because he robbed and he stole from everybody. But Jesus said, I need to go to Jericho because he had a meeting with Zacchaeus. You remember Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus, so he climbed up in a tree, right? He climbed up in the sycamore tree and he looked and Jesus walked by and Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, I'm here for you. And he went to Zacchaeus' house and they spent some time together. And next thing you know, Zacchaeus is a totally changed man, isn't he? He says, I'm going to pay back everybody what I ever robbed from him. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm going to pay back all that I've done. He's a changed person because the God of the universe was born in the flesh as a little child, grew to a man, went forward in ministry and said, I need to go see him. I need to go see her. Why did he do those things? Because he's filled with compassion. Jesus truly cares about everyone. There's no such thing as somebody on the wrong side of the track. And here's this woman, and she's crying out to him, and she is very anxious because of the situation that her daughter's in, but she does something. She does something, and Jesus is going to help her understand what she's done. She comes to Jesus speaking religious talk. You guys ever speak religious talk? Well, here's what I mean. I mean people who say things just to sound good, not who say things because they mean them. You understand the difference? Like, for example, you come in church and there are a certain way people in church behave. And if I adopt that behavior just so that I look like another church person, that's, that's just speaking religious talk. 
That's not walking a religious walk. It's not walking a real walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. God wants you really, not the you you try to paint up on the outside. She knew that people were coming to Jesus and they're saying to Jesus, O son of David. O son of David is a Jewish title for their Messiah. But she's a Canaanite. Is she a Jew? She's not a Jew, but she's heard people call him that. Remember, there's a time, two Jewish blind guys come to the Lord. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus reached out and healed them. Because they come to him authentically. They're authentically saying he's the son of David, he's our Messiah. They understand what they're saying because they understand the Jewishness of the scripture. They understand the truth of what's laid out there. But she comes because she's heard people call him this. She heard people say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. She didn't say praise the Lord because that's what she means. You guys understand what I'm saying? She had the, the talk. She had the, the, the vernacular. She comes to him in this way. She got a legitimate deal. A legitimate problem that she has with the Lord. But she doesn't come to him in reality. She doesn't come to him in, in, in a brokenness. She doesn't come to him just who she is. Do you know that the Bible wants us to come to Jesus is who we are? You don't have to purty yourself up. You don't have to make yourself look something special on the outside when that's not really who you are. Why, doesn't that define high school? Because that was the whole deal about the groups, right? I found my identification in whatever group. My, I found identification in the group that didn't belong to any groups. Because if you belonged to a group, you were a loser. That was the group I was in. The bottom line is I'd have joined any group that would have had me, but none of the groups wanted me. So we have to form our own group, right? Everybody else said that's the losers. Hey, I don't know what they were talking about. I scored on a cheerleader. <laughs> now, as soon as she figured out what group I was from, she broke up with me. But that's beside the point. <laughs> hey, <clears throat> we all have this desire to belong to something, to to. to to find our identification in that. And listen, God's, God's challenge to us is to find our identification in Him. In Christ. Because in Christ, I'm a new creation. In Christ, that defilement within me is, is, is handled because of my relationship in Christ. So I want to come to Him real and true. But see, she's not there yet. So Jesus, through this test, she's going to get her, He's going to get her to that place. And... He's going to teach his disciples about compassion, about caring about people. So she comes, and now the scripture lays out, she cried out to him. Now the word, so crying out to him means that she continually was crying out. She had an issue, she wanted Jesus to deal with it, and she was not going away. So she's crying out, Lord, 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 Lord. They can't hardly hear nothing else because of the way that she is crying out to him. She's reaching out to him. But he answered not a word in verse 23. And so his disciples came and said to him, send her away. Now sometimes that's how we are. Here she comes. She's got a real need and she doesn't really quite have it all together yet. She comes to the Lord. The Lord doesn't say anything. But the disciples, they reveal the struggle that they have had all the way through. Send her away. Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven and smote this town that would not receive us? Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you are. In other words, settle down, guys. 
Take it easy. They want to send her away. Now, in the, in the Greek construct of this phrase, it means give her what she wants so she'll go away. Just do what she wants so she'll go away. There's no compassion in that. There's no compassion in that. So Jesus is going to allow her to hear his response to the disciples. The disciples say to him, send her away, get rid of her, just give her what she wants because she is giving me a headache. She keeps hollering, she keeps going off, she keeps, she keeps saying these things. This is the response of the disciples to the urgent request of this Canaanite woman. So Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus lays out for them, hey, this is, this is the answer. Now, who's he answering? He's not answering her. He's answering the disciples who said, just give her what she wants. Jesus said, listen, I, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. I have a mission to Israel. My mission is to come and be presented as, as her Messiah, be rejected, die for the sins of the world so that they can have a relationship with the Father through me. This is my mission. So he, he lays out for them, listen, this is, this is what I am supposed to do. And after this, after Jesus gives this response, look at, the, look at the way that the woman responds. So she came and worshipped him. And she cried out, Lord, help me. Do you see what just happened? All the, the religious structuring of the question that she had came to Jesus with before, it's all washed away now. It's not, oh Lord, son of David, trying to use all the right terms. Now she's come to him and it says she worshipped him. The word for worship simply means she bowed down. I mean, she comes, she's not coming with, all she knows is, all she knows is, the answer is with Jesus Christ. I don't know how to get to it and I don't know how to get him to do what I want him to do. But I know the answer is Jesus Christ. And so she comes to his feet and she worships him. She worships, strips away all that garbage. She comes to him and she bows down and she says, Lord, help me. I want you to think about Peter. We just read a little while ago, Peter walking on the water, remember? The storm, the wind blowing, all the kind of craziness going on around him. When he started to sink, how long was his prayer? Three words. Lord, save me. Right? Save now. I'll teach you a Hebrew word. Save now. It's Hosanna. You ever sing that song? Wonder what in the world are we singing? Hosanna. That's that short prayer. Lord, help me. Save now. Save now. It's crying out to God. Hosanna. 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 We sing this song that I really love. It's a, it's a Hillsong song. One of, the, one of the, 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 the lines in the song is that, that my heart would break for what breaks yours. And sometimes we look at that and we think, yes, yeah, so my heart would break as a result of the sin that's in the world and all the horror and all that stuff. But I, you know what? I don't think that that's the kind of breaking God's looking for. God's looking for the heart breaking with compassion, for the same kind of compassion, the things he has compassion upon. You see, in the Greek, that word compassion, it literally means to have your heart torn apart from the inside. So when Jesus said he's moved with compassion, it's meaning his heart is breaking for the, the things that these people have to go through and the struggles that they face. Do you know that God's heart breaks over the hurts in your life? Do you know that God's heart breaks for the very same thing that, that upsets you, for the hurts that are going on in you, for your brokenness? 
God has compassion on those things? The, the reality is that soon we, we, our, our natural response is, well, Lord, why haven't you taken them all away? And he says, be patient. I will. Listen, the Bible says when we are face to face with God, no one will be disappointed. Nobody's going to look at that moment and that time and that place when they, when they see God, when they come before Him and all the hurts and all the pains that you ever had to go through. No one's ever going to come to that place and say, man, God, I got the raw deal. No, the Scripture says no one will be disappointed because the joy, the Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. As sad and broken as you've ever been in your life, at the hurts and the pains and the storms and the troubles in life, no matter how bad that's ever been, the moment you see Jesus, it's going to flip to incredible joy, and that incredible joy will last forever. For all time. That's why Paul said, I do not consider it worthy to be compared. The glory that we shall see with the present suffering. It's not even worthy to be compared because God is doing an amazing thing. And he trusted and believed it and knew it. So we want to see that. We want to recognize it. We want to know it. And that's what she's talking about. And that's what God is trying to get across to them. And finally she comes in honesty to God. Falls down on her knees. Lord help me. Lord help me. So he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. If we want to get a, 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 a careful interpretation of, of this verse, it would be like this. Says, you, sh- you should not starve the children to feed the puppies. Jesus is standing before her. Now she's, he's talking to her. And she's coming broken and she's coming worshiping. But again, Jesus is still teaching. Jesus is still raising her up. And he says to her, it's not good to starve the children. Who's the children? The nation of Israel. Who's the bread? Jesus is. He's already told them, I am the bread of life. I am that which brings sustenance. I am that which gives life. He's already told them these things. And they saying to, to her, shall I, shall I take the bread, starve the children, and, and feed it to the puppies? And she has a, a, an interesting response to that. She hears what he says. She doesn't get upset. She doesn't go away. She doesn't quit. She doesn't say, that's it. I've had enough. God's di- I'm, I'm disappointed in how God's treating me. So forget it. Why? Because the reason she's there is still the truth. What's the truth? I know where I can find help. Help is here. It's not someplace else. Where are you going to go? There's nowhere else to go. Go to the Lord. Everything He says, everything He does, every pause, every time He doesn't do what you think He ought to do, is a time in which He is testing and teaching in your life. And you have to allow God to do His perfect work to prepare you, to make you who God wants you to be. Allow God to do that work. Allow God to make that that deal within you. She comes, she bows down. She makes a request again, Lord help me. He answers, I can't give the bread to the little dogs. So she said, yes Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. So she responds to what Jesus said. And she says, truthfully. First thing she says, yea, Lord, yes, Lord, you're right. The bread is for them. Salvation is of the Jews. You're right. But 
Even the little puppies get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now, she's come to a place. She's come to a place where originally she comes in all this mass religion. But now she comes to him in reality. Now she's broken. Now she's on her knees before the Lord. And then, as the Lord tests her a little bit further, Ah, this bread, shall I starve the children to feed the puppies? And she said, Oh, but even the puppies receive the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus, for the second time in his ministry, is blown away by the faith. And every time he was blown away by faith, you know who he was blown away by? A Gentile. Well, the first time was a Roman centurion. The second time is this woman. Second time is this woman. She didn't go. She didn't flee. She didn't run. She stayed where she knew the answer was. She stayed where she knew she needed to be. And she said, she responded, and Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. What was the point of all that? The point of all that was not whether or not he could call somebody a little dog or not. The point was to teach the disciples compassion. Because they looked at her like a problem. They looked at her like, ah, you know, she don't fit in our group. They looked at her like, ah, you know, she's not really worth our time. Just, just give her what she wants and send her away. Get her out of here. We don't want her to be a part. We don't want her to, we don't want her to be in this. And listen, God doesn't want his people or his church to be that way. So if you're that way, find someplace else to go to church. <laughs> when, when somebody comes in, when you see somebody, you don't see him as what group they don't fit in. You see him as a brother or sister in Christ or somebody who's looking for the Lord. You have compassion upon them. Jesus never sent this, this woman away. He didn't cast her out. He used it as an opportunity to tell his disciples, man, listen up. You need to learn to see people the way I see them. Do you see people like God sees them? Or do you see them like the problem that they are? Hey, I, I will admit, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that because God has given me an incredible gift in my life. His name is Joe. And sometimes when I look at Joe, all I can see is the problem. All I can see is the fact that he's pacing in the foyer and he's going to knock somebody over because he doesn't care who's in his way. Yeah, that's the preacher's kid. You were wondering who that guy was, weren't you? Or he runs over to the donuts and steals like seven donuts and you were hoping to get one of those donuts, but now he grabbed them all. He's clutching them to his chest and trying to run through the church to get to the pastor's office so he can eat them on my computer. Sometimes when we look at, at that, sometimes, I'm honest, sometimes when I look at Joe, all I see is the problem. But God wants us to see each other the way he sees us. How's God see Joe? Listen, God don't see Joe for his problems, because Joe, according to God, doesn't have any more problems than his dad does. Does he? Not at all. Not at all. When we look at one another, we pull anything from Matthew chapter 15. This is what we need to pull from it. We got to learn to see each other the way God sees us. We got to learn to see that person or that person in church that we think, and that person has ODD. Do you guys know what that is? It's odd. (laughs) 
Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. And everybody, for everybody, it's something different. It's something different for everybody. But somebody will look at somebody else and they'll say, Oh, they, that, that person doesn't fit. That person fits in the family of God like a glove, just like you do. And that's the compassion God wants us to learn to have for one another. This needs to be a place where everybody fits. This home for everybody. Coming into the presence of God. And we are all different, aren't we? We all got weird little idiosyncrasies, don't we? Like, I don't eat no vegetables. And I bet there's a vegetarian in here who thinks, what a weirdo. How can he... There are no vegetarians in Idaho? Oh, come on now. I've been to Sun Valley. I know there's vegetarians in Idaho. (laughs) Somebody finds, when they look at somebody else, a reason to think they don't fit. They're a little bit weird. They're not part of this group. And Jesus wants his disciples, you and me, to know. They all got a place here. And they all fit. We want to make sure that, that that is always the way that we are. Well, listen, Jesus is going to leave this place. Verse 29 says, And Jesus departed from there and skirted the mountain and sat down. Now, he's looking for a place to catch a break. That ever been you? Sometimes we just need a place, quiet place, right? Just to chill out. He's headed to the mountain to sit down. And the great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet. And he healed them. What you don't understand from this verse is that it's the Gentiles bringing. It's not the Jews. He's in a Gentile place. And the word here used for laid down at their feet is cast down. They're coming with all the broken people in society. All the messed up ones. All the ones who don't fit. All the ones who are something wrong with them. This one's lame. This one's maimed. This one's deaf. This one's blind. And they're casting him at Jesus' feet. And the language is like they're, they're putting down this person as though he's worth, worthless. And when they come to Jesus, what happens? He heals them. He heals them. He doesn't turn them away. He doesn't say, get out of here. You're not, you don't have any value. Or listen, I'm really here just for the Jews. No. He came and he healed everyone that they brought to him. Everyone that came before him, he healed them. Because that was his mission at this time. His mission at this time is to be a a beacon before the people that says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one who can solve all your problems. Watch as I I solve these earthly problems that you have. And then we cry out to him and we say, well, how come you're not doing it today? Because I'd sure like you to heal my friend. I'd sure like you to heal my brother. I'd sure like you to heal my sister. I'd sure like you to move in this way now. Where are you now? And Jesus says, just hold on. So one day there will be no more pain and no more sorrow, no more hurt. On that day and in that moment, everything that you feel now, every frustration, everything that doesn't measure up will instantly be turned to incredible joy that will never end. And Jesus says, it's going to be that way. Just hang on. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. We all have need of endurance. For in this present time, right now, we're going through a variety of trials and sufferings and different things that happen in our life. But in a moment, 
That's all going to be changed. So you just wait for that ultimate healing of God because He is going to bring it. He may heal you physically right now today. I've seen God do it. Or He may say you have need of endurance. Your ultimate healing will occur when you see me face to face. That is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We just don't always understand it. But he will do that perfect work. At this time when they brought the people to him and they cast down their worthless and their sick before his feet, he healed them all. He healed them all. And the scripture tells us why. The scripture says he was moved with compassion. That means that didn't change. By the way, that's one of God's attributes. We talk about God's sovereignty We talk about the fact that God knows everything. He can be everywhere. All of these fancy words that we put together to talk about God. Well, don't miss this one. God is full of compassion. Full, complete, total. That means he has compassion for you right now, today. He has compassion for you right now in this place. He has compassion for you. And he had compassion for them. In verse 31 it says, So the multitude marveled, and they, they saw the mute were speaking, and the maimed were made whole, and the lame were walking, and the blind were seeing, and they glorified who? The God of Israel. Why does it say that? Because he's not talking to Jews right now. If he was talking to Jews, they would have just glorified God. Everybody knew who that was, right? He makes a clarification because he's in Gentile territory. He's amongst the outcasts. Those that the Jews say have no value. The religious people say you can't possibly save these guys. But God has a plan for their life. And he is moved by compassion for them. And so he moves in their life. But listen, don't miss this. Every person he healed there still died. Every person he gave sight to, maybe later on in life as they got older, still went blind. They still suffered. They still got sick. That's not healing as far as God is concerned. When God does something, He does it so that you never have to deal with it again. He raised the dead, right? He raised Lazarus from the dead. I think Lazarus is bummed about that. I believe he is. I'm sure on one side Lazarus is saying, I'd like to see my sisters again. But on the other side he's like, man... Heaven's a pretty cool place. It's a great place to be. Great place to, 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 to be surrounded by the, the glory and the majesty and the perfect healing of God. And when God raised Lazarus from the dead, what did he have to do again? Die. Well, the scripture says it's appointed unto man to die once and then judgment. Well, Lazarus died twice. What are you going to do with that? We look at Lazarus. He, he, he had these things going on in his life. That's the ultimate healing, guys, when we're with God forever. That's ultimate. And that's what God desires to do and move and work in our lives. And we got to get our eyes on to the things that are eternal and off of the things that are temporal. Everything here is temporal. So I have to remember to do that. I have to remember when I look at my son, that is temporary. 
And I might be able to change his diet and stop him from watching every kind of thing he should ever watch on TV that makes him anxious or makes him act out or makes him carry on. And I can do all these things, but none of those things at the end of the day will make him free of autism. None of them. At the end of the day, Joseph is autistic. And I cried to God for years. God, heal him. Take it away. Wouldn't it be incredible to see what he could do for you if he didn't have it? And the Lord said to me, he's better for you, Jackie, that he does. Because there are some things that I can only teach you about you when you watch your son. So my son has a valuable place in the family of God. He teaches his dad. That's a good thing. But one day, I'm not going to be blocked by the same things that block him today. One of these days, I'm going to be able to have a conversation with him, what I would call typical. I don't know if there is such a thing. But I'll have one. I'll be able to finally understand the things he can unlock for me in his mind. And just so you know, I'm not going to trade that for nothing. Because the joy that I will experience on that day will only be superseded by the joy I will experience when I see my Savior face to face. It's a good thing coming. And I need to stop focusing on the hard thing now and focus on the good thing coming. We need to stop focusing on the hard thing now and the good thing coming. There's a good thing coming and Jesus knows that. These people are glorifying the God of Israel. But then look at verse 32. So Jesus called his disciples to himself. Now, you got a great multitude. And Jesus calls his disciples for a private meeting. Guys, get together. Now remember, they went up to that mountain to catch some downtime. A little bit of relaxing time. What Jesus calls them together and says, I have what? Compassion on the multitude. My heart's broken for them. Why is this heart broken for them? Because they have now continued with me three days and they have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And when you read this, I want you to know that God has compassion on every person who's hungry on this planet. And you and I, we can do a hundred things to make sure that everybody who's hungry gets fed. But you know what's going to happen tomorrow? They're going to be hungry again. I cannot permanently solve that until they are face to face with God. How can I permanently solve their hunger? I give them a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may be hungry here, but when you're with him, you'll never be hungry again. The sun will never scorch you again. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is that ultimate place that we want to go to, that we want to run to. He has compassion on the people. So, his disciples said to him, Well, where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to feed these people? They're asking the wrong question. We do that sometimes, right? We get focused on the wrong thing. They're focused on the wrong thing. Where are we going to get bread? What are they really saying? Jesus, we're tired of all these people. Make them go away. You ever felt that way? Anybody go to Black Friday? I don't even like to go anywhere at Christmas season. 
I can go to Walmart any other time of the year and, and it's like normal crowded. But if I go now, it's a zoo. I understand how the disciples felt. They just dealing with walking with Jesus, doing all the ministry of Jesus. They're hanging out with him, doing all these cool things. But the days get long. And they went away to get a break on a mountain and the multitudes came with them. And then Jesus did all this healing stuff. And that's people coming in, laying down and Jesus touching them. And, and the disciples taking them off and, and on and on. And then Jesus says, man, these guys, I'm not going to send them away hungry. And so they asked the wrong question. Where are we going to get the bread? Where are we going to get the bread? That's the wrong question. Jesus gives them the right one. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? That's the right question. I can't solve the problem. I can't make it go away. Not what I just said. The world, there's hungry people everywhere. I can't solve the problem. They're going to be hungry again tomorrow. What did Jesus say? How many loaves do you have? Jesus said, I'm not asking you to solve the problem. Just give me what you got. I'll do the rest. Just give me what you got. Give me what you can give. Do what you can do. I never said solve it. Jesus said, what do you have? They said, seven loaves of bread and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. Now we've seen this before, haven't we? Do you know what the difference is? The feeding of the 5,000 occurred in an area of the Gentiles that was, or an area of the Galilee that was filled with Jews. This is one filled with Gentiles. He fed the 5,000, that was primarily Jewish people. Now he's feeding the 4,000, which is primarily Gentile people. Gathered together. Once again, he says, bring what you have to me. And he took the seven loaves and the fish and he gave thanks and he broke them and gave to his disciples. And the disciples gave it to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. And those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And Jesus got in a boat and he came to the region of Magdala. Fed 4,000. What was the whole purpose of Matthew chapter 15? To teach his disciples to have compassion. Do we have compassion today? We need to be a people who have compassion. Compassion on God's people. Compassion on those who aren't God's people. That we see people through the eyes that God sees them with. That we understand the things that they struggle with. We want to have His compassion. We want to have His compassion for the, the outcasts, like the Canaanite woman. We want to have His compassion for the multitudes that needed touched and healed. We want to have His compassion for the multitudes that are hungry. We want to have that compassion and we want to be moved by that compassion. And what a great time of year to be reminded of that. Being reminded of the whole reason for the season in the first place. You know, the reason for Christmas is not for what we get, right? We all know that. The reason for Christmas, Christmas, the story of Christmas is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Everything he had to give, he gave. We come to this place, Jesus looks at the disciples, Oh, I can't solve the problem. And Jesus says, listen, just give me what you got. You ever felt that way? 
You ever come to Jesus and you come to Him with a religious speak, thinking if I speak this way, God's going to do what I'm asking Him to do? And all the while, God's not answering? Why? Because we're not coming in reality, broken before Him, in worship, just at His feet, saying simply, Lord, help me. That's the prayer He answers. Have mercy on me. God answers those prayers. You remember Jesus talked about two guys that went to pray. One, a Pharisee. The other, uh, some kind of tax collector. And the tax collector guy goes, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he beat his breast and he falls on his knees. And the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. And I'm not a woman, I'm not a dog, and I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, I am who I am. And you're blessing me. I'm a pretty good guy. You got a good deal on me, God. That's Jackie paraphrase. Jesus said, the guy on his knees, the tax collector, the heathen, the sinner, he went away justified. Because that's the kind of prayer God hears. That's the kind of thing that God answers. That's what God wants us to, to pull away, the compassion that the Lord wants us to have. We got an opportunity, right? From here forward, to learn to have that kind of compassion on the people we see and the ones God brings through our door, the opportunity to reach out and let the compassion of God be the compassion that we have for them. Amen? We have an opportunity this morning to, to kind of nail that down by just coming before the Lord in the, in the Lord's Supper in a time of communion. So as the worship team comes up and we prepare to lead you in worship and, and lay out for you this opportunity, we're going to have a chance to come before the Lord and to remember... The compassion of God. What's that compassion? That He gave His body. His body was broken for me. That He shed His blood. That His blood was shed for the remission of my sins. And there's, listen, there's one thing that Jesus said to make sure you do until I come. And that's what we're about to do. He said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me until you see me face to face. It stands as that reminder for us. A reminder for you and I. The beauty of what God has done for us. So I'm going to invite you as the, the ushers pass out the, the communion trays that you just take and hold on to it for a minute. And after we worship, we'll partake of them together. Thanks.